Well, good morning. We're so glad to have you here at Reston Bible Church. Before we get started today, I want to let you know that uh, we have a, a deaf ministry here at Reston Bible. They actually attend the first service, which is largely when we interpret. Uh, we are in an effort to kind of help our deaf community connect more effectively to our larger body and have some of you get to know them a little bit better. We are planning an, a, a beginner ASL class, American Sign Language class. If you're interested in checking that out, uh, there's a table in the lobby. We'd love to meet you out there afterwards. And we haven't quite set the date and the time and all that, but we're, we're just trying to gauge some interest to see uh, what it is that we're going to do with that. We'd love to have you be a part of that. About a week and a half ago, my daughter's boyfriend went down to Liberty to visit her. Uh, you know, Natalie's at, at Liberty in Lynchburg. And in the process, it, uh, he ended up with a really, really severe headache. They ended up going to the emergency room and literally spent the entire night in the, in the emergency room, really without much of any clarity at all. Uh, they decided to drive up here. They ended up coming up here to be with us. And it just, things were just they were struggling, not looking good. And so we sent them off to Fairfax Hospital uh, where they spent, spent another significant amount of time trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, waiting and so forth. And they said, well, we only do these scans in emergency situations. And apparently they didn't assess that it was enough of emergency. And so all the while, my wife and I were coaching them on how to be more assertive. And you understand as adults that in medical healthcare today, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to kind of jump in there and uh, not necessarily take no for an answer if you're dissatisfied with no as an answer. And ultimately, through some of our coaching, uh, to our uh, pleasure, they admitted him and did a bunch of scans and, and so forth and so on. And the whole process was how do you wisely engage other professionals in a way that's kind, but at the same time is with the proper amount of force? One of the things we discovered in this process uh, through this kind of experience was that Natalie forgot to check out of the dorm at Liberty. So she's basically AWOL uh, at, a, at an institution that has a curfew and all that kind of stuff. And in dealing with her RAs who are just trying to do their job, they were not very understanding or movable when it came to the situation. And so Natalie, of course, was very upset and frustrated. And, you know, as is with many members of our family, sometimes in situations like this, uh, you kind of want to be a sledgehammer, right? Like we got several sledgehammers in our family. She, she can be one of them. You know, my wife I've referred to as a, my bulldozer with lipstick at times. And... Um, you know, my, and, and, and we all get it honestly. My dad, you know, my dad was the kind of guy that if we were standing in line somewhere and he wasn't getting the service that he was looking for, he would start explaining to you how frustrated he was about the situation. But of course, his explanation wasn't for you. It was for everyone else in the entire room, you know, hoping to kind of create a, a dust up in, in the whole process. But, you know, as believers in the world, we are called to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, Matthew 10, 16 tells us. And we had to encourage Natalie, well, in this situation, the wise thing to do with medical professionals is to do this. And with your RAs who are being unreasonable, the, the best way to handle that, what is it that you need to happen and how do you want to get there? Being a sledgehammer is the wrong instrument in that situation. And so she worked with the director and got, got her excuse approved and went back and apologized to the RAs and, and it all worked out. But the whole process is what does it mean in our world to wisely engage in difficult, frustrating situations? We are 
encouraged to be shrewd. The serpent in the Bible is the symbol of shrewdness and has always been throughout time. The dove is emblematic of simple innocence and as believers we are, we are called upon to understand the characteristics of both of those as we engage specifically in frustrating and difficult situations with wisdom. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. It's actually rather fascinating. You have to understand that parables, in parables, there's only one main point. And at times in parables, if you press all the details to logical conclusions, you end up in a very, very bad place. So in, in Luke chapter 16, there's the, the unwise manager, right? He's, he's managing his, all these different accounts for his boss and so forth. And he comes up to be, uh, you know, he's, he, he's not smart. He's been cheating. He's got this and that. And he's about to lose his job. And so what he does is he goes to all of his master's creditors. He says, how much do you owe my master? Oh, $10,000? Okay, write a check for eight and we'll be good to go. And so he makes friends, if you will, in this process. Now, Jesus admires this, not the evil part of his work, but basically what he says in verse eight is, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And basically the one principle, the one point in this parable is not that the guy was evil, but that the guy was shrewd. And Jesus affirmed the shrewdness. And sometimes even evil people in the world are way better at navigating wisely the things of this life than we are as sons of light. Today we find ourselves in James chapter, two, or James chapter 1. Last week we started a series in the book of James. We talked about what it means to persevere, to be steadfast unto maturity in trials. In the same context as that, the trials, we see our second message today is going to focus on wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. And the question that we have to answer today that I'm posing to all of us is, Am I wise? Are you wise? Are you wise? In challenging situations, do you keep your head? Are you able to assess what's happening? Properly discern the path forward? When you're at the end of yourself and you don't know what to do, do you know what to do then? When the road ahead seems to move into a dense forest, or worse yet, perhaps off a cliff, do you know what to do? The church at this time in the book of James, is dispersed through persecution. They're poor and they're struggling. And they need wisdom in the midst of their trials. We're going to read James 1, verses 2 through 12. 2 through 4 is the review of last week, and then we're going to tackle what we're going to cover today. So James chapter 1, starting at verse 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if you missed last week's message, I encourage you to go back and find us online and take that in. It is very, very encouraging. And then for today, set in the context of trials, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, 
unstable in all his ways. And then James sets it in the context of what these people are experiencing. Verse 9, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. You have a good place if you are poor and outcast and you're persecuted in the mind of God. This is a good place for you. I am there with you. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. We know the things of this world pass away. Don't be troubled by those who are rich. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then we see kind of the bookend on this section, which is kind of all together with our message from last week. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word again. Lord, we pray for our time together that you would bless us Lord, that we would understand what James is trying to teach us through the four points that we're going to discuss specifically from this passage. And then as we leave today, I pray that the three applications that we consider would be powerful and instructive as we walk out of here to live more wisely on the road ahead this week. We thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our youth, our junior high and senior hires who are away at the winter retreat, gotten some videos, see how much fun they're having, but also a powerful time of worship in one of the videos that was sent to me, Lord. God, we pray for revival among our teenagers today. God, we pray for a revival in our nation. Lord, I'm not exactly sure what's going on down there at Asbury University. Many of us have heard about that, the revival that seems to be brewing. Lord, we pray that you would take that across our entire nation. We pray, Lord God, that you would touch us here, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be here with us, and that, God, you would move among us. We pray in your great name. Amen. Well, wisdom. Remember, during our series, we did actually did a series a year ago, out of the book of Proverbs, through the book through January and into February. If you missed that, want to go take that in. But the first message in our wisdom series, I'm sorry, in our Proverbs series, was specifically focused on wisdom. That was January 9th of last year. One of the things we learned is that knowledge is intellectual information, and that wisdom is the effective application of knowledge. Google can provide a lot of information. It cannot provide wisdom. It provides knowledge and not wisdom. And we are in the Google generation. We look up everything, but it doesn't mean that we effectively know what to do with the information that we have. The Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, and it means technical skill, experience, shrewdness. And to see that throughout, shrewdness, understanding the times and knowing what to do. The Greek word is Sophia, the trait of utilizing knowledge and experience, taking the pathway that I've been on and understanding from the journey that I am on what to do next with common sense and insight. Proverbs, we said, the whole book are instructions to obtain wisdom for making wise decisions which result in successful living. And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, if the goal of God in us is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ, that we would grow to maturity, maturity means living effectively in this world, wisely knowing what to do, how to make decisions for successful living as God has designed it to be. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, by way of reminder, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the word of insight, to receive and 
Instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. The goal in working with Natalie in this whole experience was that not only would she increase in wisdom in that moment, but that, that in a, a, a Proverbs 1-5 sort of way, the wise hearing would increase knowledge globally for future situations as well. To understand a proverb and a saying, the word of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I believe that we live in a wisdom drought today. There's a lot of really bad decisions going around. Poor decisions and inability to read the landscape and inability to understand what's really happening in our culture and inability to live biblically and to know how to make decisions in the crazy tumultuous times in which we live. Today we're going to unpack four teachings from this passage and then we're going to walk out of here today with three applications, three encouragements about how to live differently as we seek to honor God wisely in our journey this week. James 1, chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 5, excuse me. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. The first point for today, the first teaching is that we must acknowledge that we lack wisdom. (laughs) The first place that we need to begin is to recognize that we have a need. Many of us walk through life believing that we got, we have it all wired. I got this. I was talking with a gentleman after first service who is a, 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 well, he's doing well in business and he interacts with business people all the time. And he's the singular problem with those in business today, when there is an issue, when there is a challenge, when there is failure, is an unwillingness to recognize that I don't know everything. Is, a, is, a, is, a, is moving forward saying, I, tol- I ho- totally got this. Proverbs twenty six twelve says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We don't want to admit that we're wrong, that we don't understand, that we have a need, and we're the worst for it. Luke 14, 11 says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The first step is humbly acknowledging that I need wisdom. Hebert, in his commentary, the epistle of James, says, James recognizes it is the moral discernment that enables the believer to meet life and its trials with decisions and actions consistent with God's will. The moral discernment to understand what it is that I am to do next. There's a story of a gentleman who is on a practice tee observing a golf pro and a student together. And of course, the golf pro's job is to give the student feedback about their stroke and so forth. That's what he hired him to do. And so the, the man, the student, began to, to, to provide his golf stroke in all of his perfection. And just as the golf pro was prepared to speak into that moment with his feedback, the, the student interrupted and gave his own assessment of his skill level and then the solution to what he felt his own problem to be. 
He started over, and again, as the golf pro tried to give feedback, the student assessed himself and gave personal course correction. Over the course of time, the golf pro stopped trying to engage with his own feedback, but simply affirm what the gentleman was saying himself. The student paid the golf pro and parted ways, and the man who was observing went to the golf pro, and he said, I I, I noticed that at a certain point in time, all you did was just go along with whatever he said. Why did you do that? And he said, I learned a long time ago, the golf pro said, that it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who wants to buy echoes. And the question is, do we want effective feedback and wisdom? Or do we simply want to hear affirmation of what we already believe, even if it's ineffective, inaccurate, or wrong? The first step in wise living is acknowledging that we lack wisdom and that we have a need. Which brings us to number two, is our willingness to ask. Being willing to ask. Verse five also says, let him ask God. It's not a demand, it's not God, give me what I need. It's Lord, in my humility, I seek you. I am in need, it's an entreaty. Lord, please. The phrase, let him ask, does not convey permission as much as it indicates a failure and a need because I'm blind to what I do not know. Asking God for wisdom. Asking God for wisdom is not popular in our world. If you were to do a man on the street interview and ask people if they asked God for wisdom when they came upon a need, you'd be hard pressed in most of secular culture today to find someone who actually believes that that is an effective move. And as I was doing some research, I came across a story of Marcus Tullius Cicero. Cicero lived between 106 and 44 BC. He was a Roman statesman, a lawyer, a scholar, a philosopher, and a prolific writer in his day. And the theme or the tenor of the day was that they could ask the gods for wealth, for honor, for health, but to ask God for wisdom was absurd. It was absurd to ask the gods for something that they were powerless to provide. That was the tone of the Greek culture. And I believe that it is the tone for us today. Are we willing to stop and ask for help? Do we recognize the need and stop and ask for help? You know, one of my greatest memories of a kid growing up was when we would take family vacations, go on the road trip. My dad was driving and there was my mom with a map spread out across her lap and the dashboard. Does anybody remember what a map is? All right, yeah, some of us still remember what a map is. Okay. Uh, today, you just plug it into your GPS. I, we plug it into our GPS even if we know where we're going. I'm like, why do we do that? Just to see how long it's going to take us to get there or if it reroutes us or if there's an accident on Route 7. But I remember mom with the map. She, my mom had become a, an a expert in maps. What the, what the legend meant, what the, this road was and what, what was an interstate and what was a back road and this and that. I could tell when my dad was getting frustrated because they weren't communicating well or, or we were not exactly where he knew where we were. And we said, Dad, are we lost? And he would say, we're not lost. I just don't know where we are. <laughs> and we're like, Dad, why don't you stop and ask for directions? <laughs> that never happened. 
You know, part of the challenge for us today is so often we don't stop and ask for directions, specifically when we need wisdom from the living God for effective, wise living for today. Number one, out of James 1, we need to acknowledge that we lack wisdom. Number two, we need to be willing to ask God. Number three, we need to embrace that God is a generous giver. Also in verse five, we should ask him who gives generously to all without reproach. Grammatically, the construction implies that he is an inherent giver, that God loves to give. It's part of his nature. It's just, it's what he does. The present tense indicates that it's a continuous action, that God continuously as a part of his nature is a giver. Now, part of our challenge is that when we end up in a season of life where we are under stress, we are in a trial and we're seeking for God's wisdom. Hear this well. If we have not been valuing and acknowledging and praising God as a generous giver all the way along and that the need that we have today is set in a context where we acknowledge God's generosity as an on an ongoing basis, like I have breath today, I'm grateful for that. I have general good health today, I'm grateful for that. We almost got into an accident and we didn't, I'm grateful for that. There's food on my table today and I'm grateful for that. And I acknowledge that day in and day out, the reality that every molecule of my body holds together by the conscious will of the living Christ and that I am grateful for that. And if we lose touch with that, and we all must acknowledge that we do, Because we are all rather privileged Northern Virginians who have everything that we need more often than not. We rely on our own capacity and the paycheck that we earn every week, week in and week out, that we often forget just how generous God is and that all of this is at his generous will. If we forget that, that God is a generous giver, Then when it comes time to seek him for wisdom and we don't have the habit of acknowledging him as a generous giver, that the roadway that is often circuitous in finding wisdom will be more frustrating and we will lack an appreciation for God's generosity. Generous implies in this verse the singular motive of what's best for the asker. God is a generous giver. He loves to provide for us. On September 7, 1860, the Lady Elgin, a side wheel steamboat, departed from Chicago for Milwaukee on Lake Michigan. At 2.20 in the morning, it was struck T-boned by the schooner, the Augusta, on its way to Chicago. Of the 398 passengers on the Lady Elgin, Only 100 survived. There was a young college student by the name of Edward Spencer who was a student at Garrett Biblical University on the shores of Lake Michigan. He single-handedly saved 17 people. He was an expert swimmer and was able to rescue as many as he could that day. It was one of the most significant losses on on the Great Lakes ever in history. Many, many, many years later, the elderly, gray-haired Edward Spencer was sitting in church when the preacher referenced the events of 1860 on the Lady Elgin. And afterwards, he asked 
Edward Spencer, he said, what do you remember most from that experience? And Spencer replied, only this, sir. Of the 17 people I saved, not one of them thanked me. And it reminds us of the 10 lepers who were all healed by Jesus and only one returned to thank him. And Jesus said, were there not 10? Were there not 10? And in order to understand the journey of effective pursuit of wisdom for the living, from the living God who gives without reproach, which is no expressed criticism. God gives no criticism to us. It's set in the foundation, the context of a grateful heart. We are unable to discern wisdom effectively with an ungrateful heart. Four teachings out of James chapter one on wisdom. One is acknowledging that we need it. Number two is being willing to ask for it. Number three is Embracing that God is a generous giver. And number four for today, having faith without doubting. James is very clear. But let him ask in faith with with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible. Not improbable, not unlikely, not difficult, It is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God, here it is, must believe that he exists, number one, and that he rewards those who seek him. That as we pursue him, as we pursue him in faith, and remember we've said that faith is not a Wumped up belief that I will, that what I want to have happen is what I can make happen. If I believe that it will happen enough, I can strong arm God into making it happen. That's not faith. That's a perspective on faith today. There are those areas of Christendom, if you will, that believe that if I just believe something enough, I can practically make God do it. This is false teaching. It is not godly biblical teaching. Faith as we have said, always has an object. Our faith is in him, not in an outcome. Our faith is trusting that the one we believe in is able, that he loves us, that he is a generous giver, and that I can lay whatever I'm facing at his feet and that he will provide and that I can be at peace. That's faith. a story told of a burning building in Harlem, New York. And on the fourth floor, when the firemen arrived, there was a blind young girl at the fourth story window. And the way that the buildings were situated, they were unable to get a ladder from their truck up to that window. And they spread out a net below and they said, jump, there's a net below, but she was blind and she couldn't see and she didn't trust, she didn't believe. As this was unfolding, her father, who was not there at the time, arrived home to see the scene. And he was given a bullhorn by the fireman and he called out to his daughter that she was to jump. And when she recognized his voice, she felt safe. And this blind young girl jumped from the fourth story and her life was saved because she heard the voice of her father and she wisely obeyed. And when we understand our need for wisdom, our pursuit of God, our 
movement in his direction, that he is a generous giver, when we believe that he is able without doubt, then we are able to respond to his voice in whatever form it comes that we might move forward in wisdom in our situation. Part of our challenge today is that we live in a generation that does not understand delayed gratification. We are the instant generation. Everything we have, we expect to happen right away. I remember as a kid growing up, we would watch shows as a family together, similar to what many families would do today. One of my favorite shows when I was young was a a show called The Rookies. And it it was every Monday night from 8 to 9. And 9 o'clock was the bedtime. At that last commercial break, we were like, Mom, Mom said, go get ready for bed. We need to see the scenes. We want to watch the scenes. That meant we wanted to know what the clips were that were coming for next week. Hurry up, get upstairs, get changed, and come back down so you can watch the scenes. And then we would come down, we would watch the scenes, all ready for bed, and then you know what happened next? We waited a whole week to watch the next episode. A whole week. And then eight o'clock, next Monday night, we were ready to go for the next episode. We'd watch the little trailer from what happened before, and we were ready for this week. And week in and week out, we did that. We didn't binge watch anything. We wasn't available for binge watching. We knew what delayed gratification was. And now we don't. And the noise of life gets in the way of our ability to pursue and know God. And when we don't walk with him closely, we tend to not know him as well as we could. And then we struggle to trust him as we should. And it brings doubt. And then we're like the sea tossed by the waves. The waves of the voices of this world. And then James 1.7 says, For that person who's tossed like by the waves, who doubts, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And the, the verse isn't, the, 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 the tone here isn't like, you're a doubter. Neener, neener, neener. I'm not telling you what you're supposed to do. It's not like I'm not going to give you wisdom. It's more, I can't give you wisdom. When you doubt, when you don't pursue me, you don't hear well. You can't receive. The primary hindrance to your ability to see, receive my wisdom on the road ahead is your doubt. It's your lack of peace, your lack of faith, your lack of comfort and rest that I love you, that I am a generous giver, and that I will show you, even when it looks like you're heading into a dense forest, even when it looks like you're headed off of a cliff, I will provide for you. But I can't spring into action with this lack of trust. Can't do it. Are you struggling with what to do next, I know some of you are. I've spoken with several families this week who are facing major challenges in their lives, some major health challenges. What do we do next? Achieving a humble position in time of difficulty, trusting that God is a good God, that he wants to provide clarity, that he is stretching you unto maturity is critical. Do you need wisdom today? Do you need wisdom today? If you don't, you're liable to need it tomorrow or the next day or sometime soon. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in him with everything you have. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's a faulty pathway. In all your ways, acknowledge him as God is in charge, as the one who sees it all, and he will make your paths straight. Straight paths, it's not that the road won't be circuitous. It's not that you won't have uh, hairpin turns. or It's not saying, that is a, a colloquial phrase for clarity moving forward. Four thoughts, four teachings out of the book of James chapter one on wisdom. Number one, acknowledge that you need it. Be willing to ask God for help. Embrace God as your generous giver and have faith. Don't doubt. You say, well, how do we do this? Are there some practical things that I can do today? Some hooks to hang this on. And when I leave here today, I can live more effectively with wisdom. And I have three for you today. The first one is seek him and his will first. Seek him and his will first. Please don't seek him when you need something, when you need wisdom, and expect to be able to receive clarity if you haven't been seeking him just to seek him for him. Seeking him for him with disregard to what he's going to give you, is the foundation for seeking him when you need him to give something to you. How many people here who are parents who absolutely love it when their children come to them only when they want something from you? Anyone? Anyone? I love it when my kids only come to me when they want something. I don't like that. That's not the only relationship that I want with my children. I want my children to want to be with me whether I give them anything or not. I want them to want to be with me so that we're, I don't know, together. Just together. Getting to know each other, spending time. The best way to most effectively hear from God when you need wisdom is to pursue him and his will when you don't need wisdom. Matthew chapter 6 talks about the needs of this life and wisely moving forward. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Is life not more than my concerns about my 401k or the, my house values going down or, or health insurance? Or, those things are important. Like food and clothing is important in the passage, but life is more than that. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him. Seek his heart. Seek his face before you seek his hand, as it were. And when you seek him, all of these things will be added to you. He will provide. He will give you clarity. He will sort out the insurance issue. He will sort out the housing issue. He will sort out the 401k and those concerns. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own trouble. Jesus says in Matthew 6.10, where we find the Lord's Prayer, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done, just here, as it is there. I want you and your will first. If I do that, then when it comes time for the request to need wisdom, oh, I'll be much better able to hear. I went to a small Bible college in northern New Jersey. There were only 500 students in this small school. One of the buildings on our campus was named Pentangill Hall. 
I only found out what Pentengill meant about a week ago. As I was doing research, it's named after William L. Pentengill, who lived from 1866 to 1950, a pastor and a scholar. And this is what he said about God's will. He said, most people don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They seem to want to know it in order to consider it. And my question to all of us today is, do I really want to know what God wants me to do? Or do I just want to know God's will so I can consider it as one of my options? Or more, do I really want God to just affirm what I want to do? Which is where I personally tend to land more often than not. Number one, in an effort to apply this passage, James 1, about gaining wisdom, we need to seek him and his will first. Number two, we indeed need to ask for faith, wisdom in faith. The issue of faith today is absolutely critical. Do I, in the midst of things that I don't understand or that don't look encouraging to me in the moment, do I still approach God in faith, believing him, his character, his desire for me, his will for my life, the goodness that he gives me, the good gifts that he provides? John Blanchard in his commentary, Not Only Healers, says, it is characteristic of the unbeliever to see God with a clenched fist. It is characteristic of the believer to see him with an open hand. Our culture teaches us to see God with a clenched fist. (laughs) It draws us into a perspective about God, a God who is punitive or a God who is absent or a God who is all sorts of things that he really is not. It's very, very difficult to pursue God for wisdom when we either approach God with a clenched fist or whether we see him with a clenched fist. But when we see him as a God with an open hand and we receive whatever he has for us with an open hand, we're able to embrace the wisdom, but it takes faith. It takes believing that he is exactly who he says he is, again, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And if you seek him in his will, number one, and you pursue and you pursue in faith, he will show you the way. Number one, seek him in his will first. Number two, ask for wisdom in faith. Number three, a threefold process in, the da- in daily pursuit. Number one, seek wisdom through God's word, wise counsel, number two, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When I think about making a decision about where I need to go next, the threefold process is Is it consistent with God's word? Have I received support through wise counsel? And is the affirmation of the Holy Spirit kind of in that whole process? Affirming that I move forward. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture, not a part of it, not little bits of it, but every single element of it is breathed out by God and it is profitable for a variety of things. It will teach me. It will confront me. It will correct me. It will train me in the way in which I should go. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If maturity is the goal for us in Christ, 
as we talked about last week, Christ-likeness, then the process of using God's word is critical in the development of completeness and equipping to effectively live in this life. That's God's word. Now I understand that in many of the challenges that we face today, the decisions that we have to make, answers aren't directly in God's word. You aren't going to find in God's word, specifically, whether you should go to Virginia Tech or JMU or Liberty University or whatever it happens to be. That, that's not in God's word. I understand that. But the more I pursue God's word and live out the principles that are outlined there, I let it correct my course, I let it confront me in my daily living, the more I live in God's word, the more I am prepared because I'm doing what he has already told me to do, the will of God in his revealed will, I am more equipped then to experience and embrace wisdom in those areas and in those decisions that are not directly revealed in his word. Conversely, if I am not immersed in God's word, I am not seeking to live out his principles, his commands. If I am not immersed in it, soaking in it, if I'm not allowing it to correct me and give me guidance, I will be completely ill-equipped because I am not living out his revealed will to embrace clearly that which is not revealed in his will that I have to discern is his will in daily living. Does that make sense? Hello, yes, amen, yes, okay. Immerse myself in God's word. Secondly is wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. You know, many of us struggle to ask for help. Struggle to ask for help. When I do a couple's wedding, I believe I'm at 108 weddings now in 25 years. What I do after the rehearsal is I meet with the wedding party. I shoo the couple away and I meet with the wedding party and I give them a challenge. And I basically say, you know, th this couple, they want to live until death do them part. They're making a covenant with God. We're making an agreement together. They're gonna do this in front of all their family and friends. But here's the challenge that they're gonna face. I want you to understand that you're gonna say to yourself when you look at them, if Bob and Susie needed help, they would ask for it. And I want to tell you that in 108 weddings and in my own journey, what I've experienced is most couples don't ask for help in a timely manner. And sorry, gentlemen, but my experience is that the one who's least likely to want to ask for help is him. Oh, honey, don't tell your sister. We'll work it out. We'll be fine. And so I tell the wedding party, please don't believe that they'll ask for help necessarily if they need it. So that's why you're going to say, hey, how are you guys doing? What are you guys working on in the first year of your marriage? You guys doing okay? Any problems that you're working out? Are you guys praying together? You continuing your date nights? Because they need wisdom and they need wise counsel. And from time to time, we're all gonna need wise counsel. And the greatest failure of so many is launching forward, believing that I see everything that there is to see and missing some critical elements of this decision-making process and ending up in the wrong place because of a poor decision. Third is the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When I am seeking God's face, when I am spending time in his word, when I am praying for wisdom, when I am seeking wise counsel, the Holy Spirit takes all of that in that whole process and affirms to me as I'm moving forward what it is that I should do. 
Even when the path leads into a dense forest or apparently off a cliff, God will provide. Do you need wisdom today? You have some situations in your life, some frustration, some challenges, some hardship, and you don't know what to do? The passage teaches us four things that we need to acknowledge that we lack wisdom, that we need to be willing to ask for God's help, that we are to embrace God as a generous giver and then we are to have faith and not doubt. And practically as we walk out of the door today, I wanna encourage each of us to seek him and his will first above all things. Number two, have faith, believe, trust in the living God, the object of your faith, who may not always do what you want him to do, but he will always do what's best, that honors him, it's his glory, and for our good. And third and finally, seek wisdom through God's word, wise counsel, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we will be a wise people. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, then may I say to you that unfortunately this process, this journey in James chapter one in seeking wisdom is not yet available to you. As a person who does not embrace Jesus Christ as yet, the challenges of receiving wisdom from God are clear. But I want you to understand today that by embracing Jesus, by recognizing that your need for him, the life of sin that we all have in us, the need to repent and embrace the payment of Jesus Christ on the cross for our eternity and for effective living here, when we do that, when we make that decision and we give our lives to Jesus, then we receive everything that we've talked about today in effort to live wisely in this world. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is make today the day of salvation for you, to embrace Jesus and his payment for you, to exchange your efforts for his gift of righteousness that you might have a relationship with the eternal God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for James. Thank you for his encouragement to the early struggling church as they sought to live wisely in the midst of their challenges and difficulties in this world. And Father, I pray that we would indeed pursue you and seek you with all of our hearts, that we would believe you, that we would ask for wisdom in faith, believing, God, that you provide. And Father, I pray that we would dive into your word, seek wise counsel, and allow your Holy Spirit to do the work in situations that even seem impossible, God, and that we would honor you when you show up and when you do your work. And Father, I do pray for any here today who've never given their life to Jesus, they've never accepted his payment on the cross, that perhaps today they would and maybe they'd come down front afterwards and speak to one of our people for prayer and understand a little bit more clearly what this journey means and how to know you, embrace you, and live with wisdom. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.